You're listening to the Radical Disruption Podcast with Maya Nicole, nursing student turned multi-six-figure online entrepreneur. Here we talk all things real and raw when it comes to entrepreneurship and what it really takes to get to the next level. Leave the small biz talk at the door and buckle up for the tangible, tactical, and actionable steps that will help guide you in building a disruptive business. Let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today's episode is a Q&A and I am so excited. These questions are very juicy and these were questions that were submitted on my Instagram stories a few weeks back. And if you want to make sure that you have your questions answered in a future podcast episode, make sure to tune into my stories so that you don't miss out on any question boxes and opportunities to Uh, ask questions that will be answered in these episodes. So with all that being said, I don't want to waste any time because there are a lot of questions I want to get to as many as possible. So first question is how to utilize pinned posts on Instagram. All right. So I see pinned posts in two different places, right? So you have your feed and then you have your reels tabs. You have six pinned post opportunities. What are you going to do about your pin posts on your feed? I recommend doing one of your pin posts. That's something about you. This is either your story, your background, uh, something that is inspiring, motivating, something that is connected to you. So when people watch that, they feel like they feel more connected to you. The second thing that I would recommend pinning to your feed pinned posts is one post that relates to the main topic that you share on your Instagram account and directs people to an offer. So this could be a call to action statement that directs people to an offer. If it's a carousel post, maybe it's the last slide that has information about your offer. Whatever it is, either way is great. Just make sure that there's something that directs people to an offer. And then that third and final piece of content that you're going to pin on your feed is going to be a popular post. And this popular could be there's a bunch of comments. Popular could be that there were a bunch of people who messaged you saying that they're really grateful for you posting it. Popular could be the amount of views that it got, like popular could be a lot of different things. And so however you want to interpret that, that is that third piece of content that I recommend pinning to your feed. And then the three pieces of content that I recommend pinning on your reels tab are one reel for each of your content pillars. And you might have more than three content pillars. That's okay. If that is the case, maybe utilizing those other two posts that are on your feed. So your one post that relates to the main topic that you share and then your one popular post, maybe those could be your other two content pillars, if that is the case, if you have more than three content pillars. But on your Reels tab, you want to have one Reel for each of your content pillars. So thinking about those main topics that you hit on, so that way when people go to your Reels tab or they just go to your account in general, that is very top of mind. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm getting a little bit I'm kind of like sampling what I'm going to get when I go through the rest of your content. So that's what I recommend in terms of utilizing your pin post. The next question is, how would you scale your business if you didn't have Instagram success? Now, there's something that I want to say first before I actually answer this question. That is that there are three really important things that you need to do in order to have a successful business. The first is that you need to have visibility. If people do not know about your business, it doesn't matter how great your business is. It doesn't matter how great your offers are. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how great your content is. If there is no visibility, you are not going to have a successful business. And this is applicable to any business. If you're a brick and mortar business, if you are an online business, like visibility is so important. 
So I'd say that that's probably, in my opinion, one of the most important things. And I guess I shouldn't say that these are necessarily in like order of the most important to like least important. But I would just say like these are like the top three most important things for having a successful business. So number one is visibility. The second one is having a good offer. If you don't have a good offer or I should say service, then it doesn't matter (laughs) how visible you are. People are not going to keep coming back. People are going to leave bad reviews. Your business is not going to grow. Or if you don't have a good offer, it's probably going to be pretty hard to market that offer. And if you're not marketing and selling your offer well, then people are not joining and therefore you're not growing your business. And then the third thing is having good sales skills. I would say that this is probably, if I had to say one thing as the most important thing for a successful business, I would say that this is it. Having good sales skills is the most important thing for a successful business. So again, you have visibility, you have a good offer, and you have good sales skills. If you have those things, you can build a successful business. Now going back to the question, which is, how would you scale your business if you didn't have Instagram success? Instagram is one of those pieces, right? One of those three pieces. How does Instagram fit in? It fits, well, I guess technically Instagram could fit in in two of those different places, but Instagram fits in, in my head, mainly in in terms of visibility, right? It's getting eyes on your business. That is what social media in general is mainly utilized for in terms of business strategy. You could also say that Instagram could be used to sell your offer as well, which ties into the third one, which is, you know, having good sales skills. But for the sake of this example and answering this question, I'm going to mainly focus on visibility. So if you didn't have Instagram success, I would say either focus more on Instagram so that you do have success on there so that you do have that visibility. Or I would say maybe you're not having Instagram success because that's not where your ideal customer or your ideal client resides. And and that honestly could truthfully be the case. I see a lot of people who are so hyper-focused on growing on Instagram. And, and don't get me wrong, I love Instagram, obviously. I've built a very successful business on there and I teach people how to do that. But sometimes it's simply that your audience, your ideal customer is not on Instagram. And so maybe looking at other platforms and seeing if you can grow there. Like for example, when I was on the panel as a guest speaker at the Kajabi event, uh, one of the people that was on my panel, um, who is absolutely fantabulous, uh, he has built his business mainly through LinkedIn. And so that is where his people are. And he doesn't have a huge Instagram account. Um, at least not at the time of the event happening. Maybe he has grown since then. I haven't checked in, but LinkedIn is his platform. And so maybe if he was trying to grow on Instagram, and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but for the sake of this example, maybe he was trying to grow on Instagram and Instagram, he wasn't having a lot of success on there because that's not where his people were. But his people uh, maybe were on LinkedIn instead. And so that's why he was seeing success on there. So that's the conversation in terms of visibility is you need to have a visibility piece in your business in order for it to succeed. So how would I scale my business if I didn't have Instagram success? I would find another platform to have success on, or I would focus more on Instagram to have success. And I truly believe, I would say for like 95% of businesses, Instagram is the best place that you could possibly be. That being said though, you know, there is still that 5% where Instagram might not be the best place for you to be. And that's totally fine too. Or maybe it's just not the place that you want to be. And so that's a whole nother conversation as well. But <laughs> I'm, I'm getting off on tangents here and I want to make sure I answer some more questions. So that's how I would scale my business is I would either focus more on Instagram so I could grow or I'd find another platform where I could have visibility. 
The next question is, how do you deal with spam and bot comments? I personally delete them. I find them super annoying. And also, I don't know, Instagram, uh, there's always something that's whack on Instagram. And for me right now, bot and spam comments are literally, I will post something and I kid you not, I will get 75 bot and spam comments and I don't even use like a hashtag on that post. And I'm like, how how do you even find me? And I'll go through and I'll block all of them and I'll delete them and I'll report them. Uh, anyways, so I delete them. I don't know. It just clutters up my comment section. I think it kind of looks unprofessional to have all of those in your comment section. And people are like, oh yeah, it's really great for, you know, engagement and all that. I personally, it's like, I don't think that it's worth it to have those comments on there. It's also not harmful to delete those comments. And I know I'm going get to get asked that question. So that's why I said that. I personally have seen zero correlation between the success of my Instagram posts and deleting a bunch of bot and spam comments. So that's just my take on that. But I mean, ultimately, I can see both sides of it where it's like, yeah, this is great for, you know, engagement. But it's like, to what point? If you have like one or two of them and you leave them on there, I don't think that's the end of the world. Unless you have like no other comments from like actual human beings, then I would probably delete those too. Just so that way, when someone goes in there, it's not just bot and spam comments. Because again, I just think it looks a little bit unprofessional. But if you have like, you know, five comments from actual people in your community and like one or two bot and spam comments, not the end of the world to keep them there. But if it's like, in my case, where I have like 75 (laughs) comments coming in and I only have like 15 from real people, I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm definitely going to delete those. All right. Next question is, what do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed from too much to do, thus doing nothing at all? (sighs) All right, I'm going to be brutally honest with you here. You are self-sabotaging your success. My suggestion for you would be to dig deeper into this. So do you feel overwhelmed because of too much to do or because you don't know what to do to hit your goals? Or do you lack a plan? Or do you feel like, if you take action, you won't see any success. There's usually, usually not all the time, but usually in my experience, (laughs) there's an underlying problem that goes beyond overwhelm. So again, I encourage you to dig deeper into this. Why? Why do you feel overwhelmed? Why are you not taking action? Now, that being said, my two biggest tips, if you're like, I'm actually just genuinely (laughs) feeling overwhelmed, my two biggest tips, break down your to-do list into bite-sized pieces versus looking at everything at once. At the beginning of this year, I was inside of a mastermind and the mastermind was so, so, so powerful. I loved my experience in there, but I walked away with so many things that I was like, okay, I need to implement this and change this and do this. And like my to-do list was legit like 50 tasks long. And I was totally in this stage of like overwhelm. And then I wasn't doing anything because I was so overwhelmed. And what I did, I this is genuinely what I did, is I broke up those tasks into not just bite-sized pieces, but instead of me looking at it from a list of like 50 different things to do, I was like, okay, what are like three main things that I can do each month? Like one to three main things, depending on like the actual size of how long that task was going to take me. And how could I break those up? And so I broke that list of like 50 tasks, I broke them up into one to three tasks to do per month to focus on, which has been so, 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 so helpful for me. Because I get so overwhelmed when I look at this list. I'm like, here are 50 things I need to do. And then you check off, you know, one. Or maybe you don't even check off one that day. And then you're like, oh, I didn't even accomplish anything that day. Even though you technically did accomplish things. But looking at that list, you're like, I didn't accomplish anything. So that's my tip number one. 
My tip number two is to never start the day without a plan. So plan out tomorrow at the end of your day today. I see so many people who start their day and they're like, what am I going to do today? What should I do today? It's like you're wasting time. Have a plan before the day even starts and it's going to give you so much clarity moving into that day. And you're going to not sit down and look at that huge list of things that you need to do because you already sat down and looked at that huge list of things that you needed to do at the end of the day and you planned for tomorrow based off of, you know, maybe your one to three main tasks that you needed to do that day. Looking at it from like the bigger scale, I do one to three main tasks that are like the bigger tasks. So I'm talking like maybe I need to go in and update like my website or maybe I need to go in and and create a freebie. Those would be like bigger tasks in my head. I have one to three of those per month, but then also on a day-to-day basis, I also only have one to three tasks that I focus on. And so that way I'm not feeling overwhelmed of like, here are the 10 things I need to accomplish today. And then I only accomplish three of them. And then I leave the day and I'm like, I, I feel like I failed. So that has been really, really helpful for me is having those like one to three big main tasks per month and then like smaller tasks to do on a day-to-day basis, still keeping it like in that one to three range. All right, next question is, how do you know what to price your offers at? This is a loaded question, and it totally depends on so many factors, like the type of offer, the value of the offer, how much access the student has to you, your industry, your experience, the demand, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So this would be more of a conversation that I would have to have with you one-on-one to be able to say like, yeah, this is exactly how you should price your offers, or this is what I recommend for you. That being said, though, what I'll introduce to you is the power of the offer suite. And so the offer suite is something that I talk about inside of scalability really in depth as to how to price out offers strategically, having different offers and different levels. But I'm just going to speak on this generally because for the sake of conversation, I mean, I, I could spend probably 10 hours just talking about offer suite and we don't have 10 hours here. So Now, these numbers totally depend on your business and your industry, but generally, this is kind of where the offer suite plays in. So you have low, mid, and high ticket offers. So your low ticket offers are usually up to like $150. Your mid ticket offers are usually around $200 to like $800-ish. And then your high ticket is usually around like $1,000 plus dollars. Generally, inside of these categories, so you have your three categories, you have your below, your mid, and your high. And again, these are just tiers of different offers at different price points. Generally, you'll see that these different types of offers fall underneath each category in your offer suite. So in your low ticket, you'll usually see like ebooks, templates, mini courses, masterclasses. Mid ticket, you'll usually see courses, bundles of offers, memberships, programs. And then your high ticket, you'll usually see like one-on-one coaching, masterminds, mini minds, retreats. So again, this is all generally speaking, totally depends on your niche, your business, (laughs) so many different things here. But the power of the offer suite is that you have these different tiers to focus on. So that way, like not all of your offers are just high ticket. And if they are all high ticket, then you can say to yourself, okay, strategically, I need to create maybe a low ticket and a mid ticket offer. And why why do I recommend having these three different pricing tiers is because that's usually how people are going to invest in your world. Not all of the time, but usually people are going to invest low to mid to then high because people want to dip their feet in the water. They want to see the value that you provide in a lower cost offer before they're going to jump into something that's like a thousand plus dollars. Again, 
usually. There are, of course, those people who are going to just jump straight into the thousand plus, and that's great. But usually, the offer suite is also really uh, paired with the customer journey. And so there's a lot of power in structuring your offers and like pricing your offers in like the low, mid, high structure. All right. The next question is, what software platforms do you use for online courses, website, and email? Courses, I use Kajabi. Website, I use ShowIt. And email, I use Flowdesk. And I will link all those below. And if you use my link for Kajabi, you'll get a 30-day free trial, plus you'll get 20 free templates that you can use to sell your offers on stories that I created. And then if you use my Flowdesk link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and you'll get 50% off of your first year with Flowdesk, which is awesome. So those will be linked down below. Next question is, what is your take on free masterclasses versus paid masterclasses? (sighs) Well, they both serve a different purpose, in my opinion. And there's a place for both of them in a business, but it really just comes down to your overall strategy in business, right? Free masterclasses are really great to build up your community, to get people onto your email list, to drive traffic to your other offers, and really showcase the value that you provide. Whereas paid masterclasses, they're really great low ticket offers. They don't always have to be low ticket offers. Like, for example, I have a few masterclasses that are in like my mid ticket range. And again, we're going back to like the offer suite that I was just talking about in the previous question. Most of my masterclasses, though, are in that lower ticket. And so they're really great introductory offers into your world, meaning that it's again, it's it's a way for people to dip their toes in to see what they're going to be getting themselves into if they then purchase something that is more costly. So paid masterclasses, again, they're really great for people to dip their toes into your world. They're really great also for you giving very direct education on a micro topic. And so instead of you having this huge course or this huge membership that covers everything that your students could possibly need to know, you have these more micro master classes that are very specific to one topic. And so when people join in, they know exactly what they're going to be getting out of it. You have a very specific outcome and they're very short and sweet, but also very potent and valuable as well. So again, I see that both of them having value. I utilize both of them in my strategy, but I will say that free masterclasses, if you're looking to do like live launching, if you're looking to do like a webinar type of funnel and maybe run ads to it, free masterclasses are a really great thing to utilize for all of those. Next question is, why is the email list the best communication ever? Why not just messaging or WhatsApp? Let me just say this. So in terms of email, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best communication ever. I think it's so powerful. And the reason why is because there are 4 billion daily email users. It's insane. Everyone uses email. If you don't use email, then you probably live under a rock. (laughs) And I mean that in the nicest way possible. But every, like, I don't know anyone who isn't checking their email pretty frequently and not necessarily like frequently in the sense of like every single day, but like frequently in the sense of like at least a few times a week, they're checking their email, right? And so there, I do believe there's a lot of power in email. Conversions are really high for email too. So if we're talking about the amount of people on your email list versus how much money you're making, there's a pretty big conversion just because people who opt into an email list, uh, it's a lot different than just hitting the follow button on someone's Instagram account. Like they're actually a lot more like what I would consider like a dedicated potential customer. Um, so I would say it's a hotter lead if someone's on your email list, not all the time, but usually that is the case with email marketing. So I do see that there, (laughs) 
I would again, I wouldn't say that it's the best ever. I, I do think that there's a lot of different options out there that are really powerful. It totally just depends on how you're utilizing email list as well as, you know, what your niche is. And I mean, there's just a lot of factors because someone could be utilizing email list and it could be totally flopping and not doing anything for their business if they don't have the right strategy, right? Whereas someone else who does have really great strategy who is utilizing their email list for for selling for their business, they might see a lot bigger return on their investment, right? And then in terms of messaging and like WhatsApp, I definitely wouldn't recommend WhatsApp. If you're going to do messaging, you would want to do SMS marketing, which is really powerful. It really is. And it's something that's not like super new, but I would say definitely more 100% more new than email marketing for sure. The power of messaging marketing, SMS marketing, is that it has a really high deliverability rate and it really uh, increases customer engagement and really increases your revenue as well. So I think, again, it, it really the conversation between email marketing versus SMS marketing is what's going to work better for you in terms of your business. What types of messages are you sending out? Usually with SMS marketing, you don't have as many characters to send out, whereas with your email list, you do have a lot more characters to send out. So there's just a lot of factors that play into like which one should you use. I would say that like most, like if we're talking big businesses, most big businesses do use both. Like usually what will happen, and you've, I promise that you've seen this in action there's a pop-up on the screen that says, get 15% off, you know, type in your email here and you type in your email. And then the next thing that pops up is in order to get this code, type in your phone number and subscribe to SMS marketing. And then you type in your phone number and then you get a text message that has the code, the 15% off code on it. And so that's how a lot of businesses will utilize it is like, here's the email list, but also subscribe to SMS marketing, you know? And so they're still getting your email list. Even if you don't subscribe to the text messages, they're still getting your email list. You're just not getting the discount code if you don't type in your your phone number. So again, there's no, I wouldn't say that there's like a right or wrong answer there. There's just a lot of different pros and cons depending on your business and depending on what you're going to utilize that marketing for ultimately. Next question is how to navigate sharing about politics and other big topics on Instagram. Ooh, this is this is a good one. <laughs> and I actually I was sweating a little bit and I still am sweating a little bit like thinking about how I want to answer this cuz I don't want to I don't want to come across how I don't want to come across. <laughs> so the first thing that I have to say is that there's no right or wrong answer here. My personal advice, again, this is my personal advice, is that if you want to talk about it, then talk about it. And if you don't feel drawn to talk about it, then don't. Because at the end of the day, it is your brand, it is your account, it is your business, and you have the freedom to talk about whatever you want. Now, that being said, sharing politics and talking about other big topics that are happening in the world can maybe play a really big role in your brand. So I think the question that you need to ask yourself is, is this important to me and the impact that I'm wanting to make? Because you could have a brand that it really is important, you know, well, if you have a personal brand, it it ties back into you, right? And if that's something that you really believe in very deeply that you value, then that's something that you probably are also going to value in your brand or your brand is going to value as well, right? And it's probably something that you also want to attract people who value something similar. And so bringing light to those topics could be a really great way for you to have a brand that does stand out and have a brand that does connect really well with your community. And social media is 
so freaking cool because we can stand up for things that we believe in and give voice to issues that honestly might not have ever seen the light of day otherwise if we didn't have social media. That being said, there are so many issues and big topics in the world. And unless your account exists solely to bring these to light and educate on them, then you would literally spend all of your days and nights (laughs) sharing about these topics. So you have to pick and choose what to talk about, in my opinion, unless, of course, again, you are an account that solely exists to bring these to light, which is great if that is the case. I think that that is so needed in this world. So here's the thing. If you don't want to talk about any of it, then you don't have to. You can still make a really big impact even without sharing about politics and these other big topics that are happening in the world. All right, the next question is, was first trimester hard on you while keeping up on your business? Yes and no. I was very fortunate to kind of have things in reverse. (laughs) Um, And what I mean by that is most people in their first trimester, if they do get sick, they will have morning sickness. And I actually didn't have morning sickness. I had nighttime sickness. And so for me, my sickness for the first few weeks of my first trimester, it hit me around like, I don't know, five or six o'clock. And then I would usually, I don't know, puke once a week between like weeks six to 10. And then between weeks like 10 to 12 and a half, I was puking nightly. But after I puked, I was like, oh yeah, I feel great. (laughs) But, But again, because it was nighttime sickness, it was a little bit different because it didn't really affect like my day to day. I mean, it did in a sense just because you're growing a human being <laughs> inside of you. So your energy is going to be different. You're going to feel a little bit sluggish sometimes. I don't know. There, there are a lot of different things. And I think that everyone experiences pregnancy do- so differently. And for me, going into being pregnant and even now still of like, what should I do about maternity leave? How is this going to work? It's just like giving myself so much grace of like, I am growing a freaking human being (laughs) inside of me. Um, And so I'm going to move how I need to move to be able to take care of myself and to take care of my baby at the end of the day. And so if that means that I show up differently in this season of my business and this season of life, then 100% I'm going to do that. So I just think giving yourself grace as you navigate, you know, this, this new thing that you're going through in, in life and, I can't say that I'm the perfect person to talk about. I mean, I have gone through first trimester and second trimester, so I can speak on that. But, you know, this is my first kid. And so maybe I'll have better advice, you know, after the end of this year. But I think the biggest word and piece of advice that I can give to you is just grace, giving yourself grace. It's going to be hard and it's going to be different and it's going to push you in ways that you've never been pushed before throughout all trimesters. And even once you have your baby as well, it's also so cool and so powerful. And I just think that it's, in my opinion, a way that, you know, us as women, as business owners really get to elevate our experience. And so I think for me, I don't see having a kid as something that's going to take away from what I'm wanting to build. It really just elevates everything that I get to build, which is so cool. All right. Next question is, how to get useful and impactful testimonials. Do you have certain prompts that you use? This is a loaded question too, because there's a lot of different factors that play into testimonials. And the start of this conversation would be that you need to have a good offer. So to get good testimonials, you have to have a good offer. If you don't have a good offer, you're not going to get good testimonials, no matter how many times you ask, no matter how many good questions you ask on your feedback forms. 
if your offer sucks, then you're not going to get good testimonials or you're just not going to get any testimonials at all, right? So after having a good offer, though, once you've mastered that, then it comes good customer experience. And that's, again, that's a whole nother conversation of, you know, what are you doing to go above and beyond for your customer? And then after good customer experience is asking for the testimonial. And so there's a lot of different steps that I would look into if you're not getting those useful and impactful testimonials. That being said, though, what I would say for me personally, that has been the best, I guess, tip that I could possibly give to you in terms of getting more useful and impactful testimonials is number one, asking actually two tips that I could give to you. Number one is asking better questions, (laughs) asking more specific questions, because the more specific the question, the better the answer. And I'll give you a few examples of those in just a second. And then my second thing is to ask often and ask frequently. And so I I hear a lot of times people will say, oh, like I'm not getting testimonials. No one's giving me testimonials. I'm like, are you asking? (laughs) And they're like, no, I'm not asking. Or like, oh yeah, I I asked one time, you know, and it's like in 0.8 font at the bottom of this email where, you know, it's like, it's like on those commercials where, you know, there's like medication and then like they're showing like all of, um, the disclaimers at the bottom of the screen that are like in such small font that you literally need like a magnifying glass to be able to read it. That's usually what I'll see too. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, (laughs) but um, you have to ask for testimonials more than one time, which again, kind of goes back to your customer experience and like checking in with your customers and giving them multiple different opportunities and asking them in multiple different ways for their feedback and testimonials instead of it just being like, oh, you're at the end of the offer. Like here, leave a testimonial. It's like, let me check in with you. Let me ask different questions. And it doesn't always have to be so formal of like, here's this formal feedback form. I mean, it could literally be, you know, someone posts on their story that they're going through your course instead of it just being like, yay, I'm so excited for you. It's like, what has been the number one takeaway that you've had thus far, you know, by going through this? It's like, it's being more intentional with asking your questions. So again, the more specific the question, the better the answer. So here are a few different questions that you can implement, uh, whether this be in formal feedback forms or something that's just kind of in your direct messages. Number one is what is something that you expected that you didn't get inside of this offer? Number two is how would you describe me to someone else? Number three, if you think back to before you started working with me, what were your biggest struggles? Number four, what, from your perspective, is the greatest struggle you've overcome plus how you've overcome it since joining XYZ Offer? And lastly, if you were to guide someone else to work with me, what would you share as the greatest value that you've received? So again, instead of it just being like, leave a testimonial, (laughs) which there's nothing wrong with that. You can still put that on on your forms for sure, but it's getting more specific with your questions and making sure that you're asking questions multiple times throughout the offer and not just one time at the end. Next question, we're getting to the end here. I think we have three questions left that I'm going to be answering. Okay, can you share examples of digital course topics others have successfully made money on that aren't about making money? Yes, 100%. I have eight examples for you. I'm going to do you better. Instead of just one or two examples, I'm going to do eight examples. These are course topics. Some of them aren't courses, but I think ultimately they could be courses too, just depending on how the offer is structured. But these are all offers from one-on-one clients of mine just this year that are successful. 
So the first one is natural dyes and growing plants for colors. Number two is the cancer prevention lifestyle course. Number three is your body, your birth. Number four is equine massage 101. Number five is missing link. So improve your walking strength and balance um, if you have MS. Number six is boho updos. So this is from a hairstylist. She's teaching other hairstylists, um, specifically bridal hairstylists, how to do uh, different hairstyles. Number seven is week after week and learn how to make healthy choices consistently without missing out on life. And lastly, movement through pregnancy for women looking to stay active and reduce pain through pregnancy. So those are just a few different ones. And I could give you probably a list of 50, (laughs) 50 more, honestly, just from the people that I've worked with this year that have successful offers that aren't about making money. So there's a lot of different opportunities for you out there to create offers that aren't about how to make money on Instagram or how to make money on social media or how, yeah, I think that those are definitely needed. Um, That being said, though, I mean, if you have a different passion that you are wanting to uh, create an offer on, I say 100% go for it. All right, second to last question. How do you plan your content strategy? Another loaded question. I love all these little loaded questions. I'm like, maybe I need to create episodes on all these loaded questions specifically so I can dive deeper into them. But we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we as in me. Maybe me, my podcast studio, aka my closet, and I will do that. <laughs> How do I plan my content strategy, though? This has changed so much over my years of being on Instagram. Um, even from like when I was in network marketing to when I started actually building the business that you know of today, which is what I'm doing, to now, uh, it's changed so much. And I think that part of it kind of goes back to the question around, you know, was my first trimester hard with my business? And so I think that my content strategy and the way that I create content has 100% changed based off of the different goals that I have in my business based off of the different stages and phases of life that I'm going through. There are, I mean, it, it just changes so much as as different things change. And, and that totally makes sense, right? It's good for things to evolve and change as we evolve and change as business owners. So again, you know, how I did things at the beginning isn't necessarily how I do things now. In terms of my content strategy now, you know, it's not really a strategy where I sit down and I'm like, hey, like this is, you know, I need to have one content, you know, that fits under this content pillar and then one piece of content that fits under this content pillar. And then like this needs to lead into this. And then I have this launch strategy. Like technically, yes, I do think that, but it's more of something that's just like natural at this point in my head. When I very first started out, I did, I needed to sit down and I, I wrote out, you know, my three to five content pillars. And I like, this was my niche. And like, the different topics. And then this, you know, piece of content is going to lead into this offer. This is going to be the call to action. Like I 100% sat down and I thought out all those different things. And I think that that's so needed. But now that I've done it so many times and I've created so many different pieces of content, like it's almost like a subconscious thing that happens for me now. So like my content strategy now, it's basically nothing because it just exists in my head. Whereas if you looked at my content strategy, uh, you know, when I very first started my business, it was like very complex in terms of, you know, laying out different things and call to actions. And, you know, this piece of content is going to be repurposed because this one was successful. And like, again, it's not to say those things aren't still happening in my business. I, 100%, I still have a content strategy. It's like something that just happens in my brain where I'm like, oh yeah, like 
you know, I need to check my insides. Like it's, I guess a habit would be the better word for it. I've created a habit because I've done it for so long because I've done it not just for me, but for my clients for so long. So in terms of content strategy, I mean, the deeper conversation, it happens inside of IG University. So that's what I would dive into. But what I would say to you in terms of takeaway on this is 100% learn like how to build out a basic or even an advanced content strategy. I think that it's really important, but don't be afraid to customize it to what fits your needs and what fits your goals. And also don't be afraid to shift and change as your life shifts and changes, as Instagram shifts and changes, as your business shifts and changes. Like there are so many different changes that are going to take place you know, month after month, year after year. And so just be willing to be flexible as things change and as your content strategy changes and what works for you at the beginning might not work for you now. And that's okay. Like it's good for things to evolve and change and it's normal for that to happen. Last question is how do you find clients? I would reframe this question (laughs) and I would ask you, how can you put yourself in a position where clients will find you? Then the question is, once you have even a small audience, how can you turn or how can you convert this audience through sales skills? So again, like this kind of comes back to what I was talking about where I said, you know, three most important things for a successful business is visibility, having a great offer, and then having good sales skills, right? Visibility would be, you know, putting yourself in a position where clients are finding you. So where is that platform where clients are going to find you? Um, Then you obviously need to have an offer if you want to have clients, because if you don't have anything to sell to them, then people aren't going to buy. But then it's through sales skills. How can you convert the, the visibility into customers, right? So how can you convert these followers into customers? It's through your sales skills. And so again, I would just reframe that instead of asking, how do I find clients? It's like, how can you put yourself in a position where clients will find you? And then how can you refine your skills or how can you learn skills that will help you to turn those potential clients into clients? All right, that is it for today's episode. A bunch of amazing, amazing questions. And I know that I will do another episode like this in the future. So if you want to submit a question, make sure to tune into my Instagram stories. I put up a question box and obviously, as we know, Instagram stories expire after 24 hours. So you only have a limited amount of time to be able to see that and submit your questions. So just make sure that you're staying tuned in on stories. And of course, on stories, I'm sharing all sorts of other things that are great too, like discounts and tips behind the scenes. So if you want to stay updated on all of that, tune into my Instagram stories. But I hope that this episode was helpful for you. Uh, We covered a lot of different questions on a lot of different topics, but thanks for tuning in. If this episode has served you in any way, I'd love it if you shared what you've learned, any aha moments that you may have had, or something that you loved, and tag me on Instagram at Maya Nicole. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review so that we can continue to learn and grow together. Thank you so much for your support. I love you, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.